Well, good morning. It's uh, amazing to hear what's been shared this morning. So much of it's wanting to share about right in my message this morning. So, uh, yeah, I think of uh, what David shared about being lukewarm, about how really in this country we have easy living. I know there's struggles, trials, but when there's no needs, it's true. We can slowly slip away from our walk with God, but it's when we're needy can we cling to the Lord. So I want to kind of maybe pick up from there and stir the coals a little bit more on what David shared this morning, kind of get us going to realize that uh, standing still is not an option, that we need to uh, get some revival going in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we just praise you this morning. Lord, we're needy people. We need you. Whether we're sitting here today and not realizing that or not, we need you, Lord, more than anything. Father, we just ask that you be our strength, our guide. Would you lead us through this life? Give us the hearts that we need to understand the battles that are ahead of us, Lord. Bring us peace, Lord. Break the bread of life to us and feed us today that we might learn more about you. And, Father, that every day we walk more victorious and let Jesus Christ be the light of our life that shines so bright in our hearts that we're so filled with your love and your spirit that it flows out to all those around us. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I know it's pretty foggy out there this morning, and pretty much as far back as we can remember, it's been kind of drizzly and rainy and all those things, but it's been pretty peaceable out there, hasn't it? I know just yesterday, me and my son were looking out the back window and watching cardinals going from tree to tree, flying out in the backyard. We can let our children roam. They can go out and ride their bikes if they wanted to, if it's not raining out, or maybe they could just put on their raincoats. We don't mind letting our children walk down the streets to get the mail, maybe run out to the store for us or something. We feel pretty safe in this country, don't we, right now? But, you know, for many places around the world, it's not that way. Why? There's wars brewing all over the place. They're living in places where they're right in the battle zones that don't want to be. Some areas are trapped in there and they can't get out, and these people live in fear. You know, imagine living in a place where the bullets are flying, And you can actually hear the gunshots off in the distance. You can hear the explosions from the bombs and the house rattles when you hear these things. I remember uh, years ago when I went to Haiti one time, we went into uh, Port-au-Prince and uh, met up with this Bruce that helped start some of the mission out there that went to. And in his home, he showed us when they had the big uh, turn over there with Aristide, the walls where the gunshots, he said the soldiers were running up and down the streets. And he said, we just lay down on the floors. You could see the holes in the wall where it chipped away from the bullets and stuff. But there's people right now today where they hear the screech of a missile coming in and they got to discern, is that an incoming missile or is it an outgoing missile? And then what do you do when you say, oh, no, it's coming this way? And they just have to brace themselves. They live in fear constantly because of this war that goes on. There's places I reported during some of the wars over in Iraq where people look out their uh, buildings, these high complexes, and they'd watch cruise missiles flying right down the streets, right out the window, watch them racing by. It's normal life for a lot of people in many countries today. Imagine what it would be like to live in a spot where we can hear the gunfire, the explosions going off all the time, not knowing where to go and what to do. But for many people, this is just normal 
everyday life, even though it's not normal. But they struggle with these things. How many of us, if that was going on, would take and let our children run out and play somewhere during a war zone like that? Or let them go out and just get the mail? You know, we take these things for granted. Or maybe give them some money and say, go pick up something in the store. None of us would do that, would we? Too many people through history and present day, that's just normal. That's what they go through every day. But here, there's no war. It's pretty peaceful, isn't it? It's quiet. You can hear the birds chirping. Once in a while, see a blue sky. Okay? But what if we could somehow open the veil in this room? Just Maybe I should do what Alan did last week, I think it was. Close your eyes and what would you see? But if we could open up the veil of the other realm, the spiritual world of what's going on right now, what would we see? What would we see sitting there? You know, there's a war going on right now. That's what I would convince you of this morning. We sit here today and it's peaceful, it's quiet, but it's not. There is a war raging going on right now. There's real bullets flying. There's fiery darts being thrown. If we could look through the realm of what's going on here, we would see, I believe, evil forces at work. Maybe we could even see Michael, the archangel, fighting for us in some way, defending us. Today's peaceful, but we are just as much at war as they are in these other countries, Yemen, Syria, and all these other places where there are wars going on. And you know what? If we don't understand that, we're going to struggle. A lot of people, a lot of Christians that I've talked to and dealt with through the years, they're struggling and they're struggling with life because they don't understand the war that they're in. They don't understand the battle that's going on for the souls. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to look at verse 10 there. Matt went through the uh, this morning in the children's lesson, the armor of God. I wasn't going to go there, but that gives a great thing of... The further part of that there, I thought about doing that, but I held back, and now I know why. But verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? It says, we wrestle not. And you know, a lot of people understand that we are non-resistant. That we don't fight. We don't go to war. We resist not evil. And so many times we realize that I can't go to battle. Okay? Um, some go as far as, you know, I don't wrestle. I won't argue with people. I'm not going to sue my brother. I'm not going to sue somebody else. I don't answer back. We don't do that, do we? Don't answer back on anything. I don't backbite. I don't get angry. Non-resistant. I don't get revenge. I won't go to war and I won't protest. And I found a lot of people stop right there and they say, I don't do those things. I don't show a violent nature. I want to be calm and peaceful in this world. But if you read what it says, it says we do wrestle. Many people stop and they say, I don't fight. I don't go to war. But it says we do wrestle. But our war is in another realm. It's not the fighting of the flesh and the blood, but we wrestle against the principalities and against the powers and the rulers of darkness in this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. 
So henceforth, if we open the veil, we're at war. And the battle's raging. We just need to realize that. We don't wrestle against people on this earth. We let them do what they will. You know, we can turn the other cheek. But we war in the spiritual realm. We battle against sin. All of us battle against sin. We fight for the souls of men, at least we should be. Caring about other people, knowing where they're going to go. We fight for the souls of men. This war is real. There's real bullets flying. There's real fiery darts. There's real casualties. And there's real armies in this war. And this war has a specific purpose. It's organized. It's not haphazard. It's a very organized war. Don't be ignorant. There's a real battle plan, and the target is us. There's a war raging for each and every one of us here. We're caught right in the crossfires of this battle. You might think, well, I never signed up for this. I'm not interested in that. You know, that's not my problem. But you know, that's the reality of life. Whether you want to accept the fact that you're in the war or not doesn't matter. The war's raging. And if you want to choose the side that says, well, I'm not interested in this war, well, the devil's already won. You know why so many Christians, not saying anybody here, but they walk around day to day and they're just depressed. They're worked over. They're downhearted. They're distant from life. They don't care. You know, woe is me type attitudes and all these things. They walk around with a big, just, just don't bother me. There's a war going on for the souls and they simply don't understand. If the devil would contend for the bones of the body of Moses, how much more is he going to go after us? Think about that one. The soldiers in a war know. These soldiers that are on the front lines, and I have talked to a few that were in some of the present wars we've had over the Middle East, and they know it's kill or be killed. Fight with all that you have or you're going to lose it all. They have nothing to lose by going back. They have to keep going forward. They're motivated. Their adrenaline's pumping. Where there's no vision, the people perish. And these soldiers have a vision. They understand the war plan. They have a winning goal in mind. They fight to the victory till there's no strength left. They get the real picture. And if we don't get the real picture of what's going on, what Satan is trying to do to us, what Satan is trying to do to destroy the home, to destroy your children, to destroy your relationships. If we don't get the real picture of that, we're going to lose. No wonder why some people walk around being depressed, downhearted. The enemy finds ways of destroying us and just simply picking away at us and tearing us apart. And then he sits back and he laughs and he just pushes us around if we don't get it. You know, kind of like he just plucks right alive. It's like a vulture eating at a carcass. Just little by little just keeps stripping away. If we weren't at war, then we wouldn't need what Matt showed us this morning, Ephesians six thirteen through 18, about the armor of God. We wouldn't need that in the Bible at all. But the reason that we have that is because, like Matt showed us, there is a war going on. There's a real fire going, and we need to protect ourselves from it. We need to stand up. Why would we need the full armor of God if there was no battle? We wrestle against powers and principalities in high places. But let me say this, though, before it sounds too depressing. If we are born again and we're walking with Christ, the war's already won. We might still be fighting the battle, 
But we can guarantee that the war is already won. God's glory, God's holiness, God's power, God's might. Our king has already declared victory. The battle for us may not be over, but the victory is won. You know, in any war or any sport, you never know who's really going to win or has won till it's all over, right? I used to watch football, not promoting that at all. But many times you see it come down to the very end during the fourth quarter. There's like 15 seconds left on the clock down by one point. You don't know who's going to win. Like 15 seconds isn't much time. But they get desperate at that time, and before you know it, they end up turning over, and the game flips, and the other team wins. I've seen that happen many times. I remember one time years ago, there was a game. I don't remember the players. doesn't matter. You had Team A, Team B. Well, Team A was winning and winning and winning. They got so far ahead, the game got boring. If I understand, most people just shut it off and went to bed. They know who won. Well, they woke up the next morning, and guess what? Team B won. You know, there's no guarantees in this life at all. But this war... There is a guarantee. There is a guarantee. When the clock runs out, God will be the victor. Satan was judged at the cross. God's already won. But what he's looking for is his soldiers to come and be on his side. Because when the clock runs out in this war, those that have been faithful to God are going to be with the Lord forever and ever. He'll gain eternal life. Now, what I want to do this morning is to learn just a little bit about the enemy that we're fighting. It always helps to understand to defeat the enemy when we know what we're going up against. You know, in the Old Testament, when they went to war, they knew how many soldiers there were. They knew how many horsemen there were, how many chariots they had. They'd send spies out into the lands, and they they knew kind of what they were up against when the battle came. Um, If we're trying to work with somebody who's under a different religion, they believe something else than we do. It helps to study what they know and learn what they know to help them out. Kind of, You can see where they're coming from. These days they spend millions and billions of dollars trying to size up the enemy of these wars that they're fighting. So why shouldn't we? Okay. The first place that we would read about the enemy would come in Genesis. But actually, it starts in Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 12. Verse 7, it says, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and the angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there found any place any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength. And the kingdom of our God and the power of our Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast down to earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times, and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth of water in a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth 
helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon was cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, first thing is, when you look in this here, who did the fighting? Fighting against the devil himself. Michael the archangel, right? God himself didn't have to do it. He had confidence in his, can I say, his creation. It's not like this intense battle that God's got to do it. God is so powerful, he can just send him down there to take care of these things. And notice, too, it says that he prevailed not, neither found any place in heaven. But also says in there, too, notice it says that he deceived the whole world. So he gets cast out, and yet it says he deceived the whole world. And if Satan has the power to deceive the whole world, how do we stand? If we're not being vigilant, standing up and fighting and keeping that fire going, we could be crushed, destroyed. Where was he cast to? Right here. Right upon this earth. But notice it says, he deceived the whole world, but some didn't succumb to that. Look at verse 11. It says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony, and they loved not the lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. There were some that were victorious, some that didn't follow the plan and got pulled through. But notice also that the clock runs out. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. The devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time. The devil knows that he's on a time frame. I don't know what that time frame is, but he knows that somehow his time is short. And he's got vengeance. He's fighting with all that he has. Let's look over in Genesis chapter 3. I'll just, yeah, I'll read through this here. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall surely not die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam said unto his, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees in the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to me to be with me, she gave of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord said unto the woman, What is it that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. 
And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. And upon thy belly thou shalt go, and thus shalt eat. And thus thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. Now, Adam and Eve weren't deceived on their own. In other words, they passed by that tree often. They knew where the tree was. They knew what the tree was about. And they walked by that tree all the time. And they weren't deceived. But Satan deceived them. Satan's the one that caused them to stop and look at that tree. That's spiritual warfare. That's the battle that written of spiritual warfare. Adam and Eve passed by that tree all the time. And they had no desire to stop and say, I really want to take this. At least we have no record of that. But the serpent comes along and he said, I'm going to trick these people up and I'm going to get them to fail. And it worked. The devil began exercising his short time by trying to get all the nations up under his warped control. Is he still doing these things today? Trying to stump people up? Trying to cause us to sin? Trying to take God's word and twist it, put enough truth in it that it almost sounds good, all these things? Notice also, man instantly took on his characteristics. As soon as they ate of that fruit, as soon as they disobeyed God, they began to take on the characteristics of the devil. You know, the devil saw things from both sides. He was in heaven at one time, and then he was cast down on this earth, and he saw both things. He saw the presence of God, then he saw this earth. Adam and Eve knew what it was like to walk in the presence of God and know no sin. And now their eyes were opened. Not sure how to put those together, but they could understand both sides of the spiritual battle, something that none of us could be at. None of us know what it's like to be where Adam and Eve were at one time, but they fell. Satan knew the holiness of God, and he knew how perfect God was. And his goal was after he got cast out, and we'll get into more of that reason why in a little bit here, but he got cast out and he was angry and he knew how to twist things enough to cause man to stumble. He knew how holy God was, and he can take and go from God's holiness to corruption and evil. Notice right away, they were afraid. They were never afraid before. They were living in fear. They hid from God. Notice right away, they lied. Okay? They pointed the finger at each other. Well, God, remember that woman that you gave me? And she's like, well, yeah, I did that. You know, they, they're lying right away pointing the finger at each other, to try to de- trying to deceive themselves believing the story, and they try to get God to believe it too. They blamed each other, but notice also they weren't repentant. All the characteristics of the enemy. Let's go over to Ezekiel chapter 28. Uh, verse 11. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up lamentation against upon the king of Tyrus, and saying to him, Thus saith the Lord, Thou sealest up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been eaten the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, and the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and the gold, and the workmanship of thy tabarets, and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created." Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God, and thou walked, and thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. 
Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. Um, go a little further. By the multitude of thy merchandise thou hast filled in the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of brightness. I will cast thee to the ground, and I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuary by the multitudes of thine iniquities, and by the multitude of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth, and in the sight of all them that behold thee. And all they that know thee among the people will be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and thou shalt be... And thou shalt thou be any more. It says in here that he was on the mountain of God. He's been Eden. That puts him way back there, doesn't it? What do we think about when we think of the devil? So oftentimes it's something ugly, isn't it? We see all these pictures. I know growing up you see all these little cartoon pictures of this little red guy with little horns and the spike tail and all these things. Most times when they paint the devil, you see it as this big evil creature. But it's interesting here because it says when he was created, he was perfect in beauty. What does beauty do? Beauty, beauty, beauty attracts, doesn't it? It's an attraction. The devil can take the ugliness of sin and make it look somehow beautiful to us. Remember, growing up, had lots of alcohol, beer, and cigarettes advertised all over the place, billboards, sides of buildings, you name it. And they always had these beautiful pictures with these very attractive people, big smiles, perfectly white teeth, and these beautiful spots, the sun shining, the trees, all those things. That's how they sold their products. That beauty attracted, but they never showed the ugly side. They never showed the cancer that destroyed the flesh, bought death. They never showed the husband sitting in jail because he got in a drunken brawl and beat his wife. You know, they don't show those things. The devil knows how to take sin and make it look attractive and beautiful for a season. I'll just say this. We like... I talked about taking on the characteristics of God. You know, we as people like to make ourselves beautiful and attractive in many different ways. Jesus wore the same clothes all the time, best I know. Not the same ones. Okay, Same style, maybe I'll say it that way. Okay? It says that there's nothing attractive about him. Okay? And yet, we have to keep up with keeping our home soul, keeping everything just nice, keeping ourselves looking good, the perfect clothes. And we just, I won't go into that very far, but we like to find and make ourselves attractive. Think about where that comes from. It says also that the workmanship of the tabernacles was prepared in thee. You know, when he was first created, He hovered above the very throne of God. And it says that he was beautiful music. 
I remember a church that we used to attend at times when I grew up, and they had those pipe organs. You'd walk in and sit down, and the whole entire back wall was nothing more than these big pipes in there. And they'd start playing that pipe organ. It was beautiful, the sound that comes out of those pipe organs. But I find it interesting that not only was he beautiful, but he also played music for worship for God. Music's a huge subject with Christians today, isn't it? That's a big one. Let me put it this way, try and stay out of saying anything, but can we honestly say that there is a place where music is perfectly accepted by God? Right? We can all say that. We can agree on that. And we can also agree that there's a place where it's a total abomination to God. So the devil can take and just lead us along little by little by little by little by little and lead us far away in the music field. All these things that the devil can do. It says that he was lifted up because of his beauty. You know, as the angels came in to worship God, and whatever else was in heaven came to worship God, for some reason, this is how the Bible says God created good and evil, but he began to watch these angels coming and worshiping God. And somehow in his heart, he began to say, why don't they notice me? I'm beautiful. I'm attractive. I can play some beautiful music. And the pride entered into his heart. And eventually he wanted the praise that God was getting. You know, it's a dangerous place when we want to get praised. It's one of those things in our hearts, many ways that we look for people to look up to us. But that began to leak into his heart. And the pride grew so much that it cost him everything. It was cast out of heaven. He wanted to be like the Most High. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 14. Um, Verse 12. It says, How art thou fallen? From heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how hast thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights off the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They shall see that narrowly. Thou looking upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth tremble, and that did shake the kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness, and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened up not of the house of his prisoners? He wanted to be like the Most High. He wanted people to worship him, to praise him, to love him, and yet God, it says here that here's his doom. He's going to be brought down to the pit. All those that looked at him one time that made the world tremble, made the kingdom shake, is going to be destroyed. He lusted after this. See how far pride can begin to grow? We have the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Where did that come from? We took on the characteristics of the enemy. Um, let's go to First Peter chapter five. 
It's amazing how the devil took on this battle, trying to deceive the multitudes and take on this fight. He's made war with us. Um, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Let's read that one verse. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because you adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he devour. Okay? It says, Be sober and be vigilant. Those are action words, aren't they? Those aren't words to say it's okay to just kind of lay back and let it happen. They're action words. It's not that just we can say, well, okay, the devil deceived me, and I sinned willfully. I acknowledge that. And I asked God to forgive me, and he did. And now I can just sit back and rest in life. I can just sit back and take it easy. I've done my part. That's not what it says. Those words, we need to be vigilant. We need to be sober. Because the devil doesn't stop at that point and say, oh, well, I'll just let him go. You know, they gave the life to Christ. It's all over. No more battles. Another one I lost. That's not the way it happens. As long as we're on this earth, there's going to be a battle. It's not okay to just sleep and rest. We're called to action to fight. We need to fight for our purity. What about fighting for the purity of your family? We need to fight for the purity of the church. And we also need to fight for the souls of men and women. It says the devil's a roaring lion. He's not ashamed, is he? It's amazing. He just has the boldness to go out and promote what he wants, and it works. Have you noticed today, I have noticed it more than ever before, when we speak the things we want to speak as being a Christian or pushing our values, it's becoming wrong. It's becoming illegal. It's becoming racist. It's becoming hatred. When we stand up for the values that we all know and love and know that's God's heart, it's getting tough out there. We're becoming to become the minority here. But notice, the music can be blared everywhere. The immoral signs can be put everywhere. The immoral businesses put everywhere. The drugs are everywhere. It's all over the place. We can promote things that we would say is dead sin against God. They can, maybe I said that wrong. They can promote things that are just sin against God and say that it's great and wonderful and get the law to protect them. That's okay. We have to accept that. But our values are becoming less and less accepted. That's the battle that we're in. The devil goes around like a roaring lion. If the devil were to show you the full extent of the sin. He wants to take you somewhere. If he shows you the end result of where you'd be when it's all over, how many of us would buy that and do it? Not one of us would. I've met a lot of people in prisons that would never, ever have taken the steps they did if they knew it would have let them. So the devil does it real slow and brings them in real slow. You know, when it talks about devouring. You can look at that word. I remember one time I traced back way back on all the, the root words of that and everything there. It's almost like the devil can take a man that is um, a strong man, rock solid in his faith, and he slowly weakens him, slowly chips away, slowly wears him out. The poison begins to rot away at him, and it begins to make him like jello, liquefy him, and the devil can then just swallow him. Some people he can grab quickly. Sometimes he has to work hard and just slowly turns that person 
and devours them. Just a little sin, just a little bit more. Sin gets a little bit bigger, a little bit out of control, a little bit out of control, and the devil takes over. We have to be vigilant. Go over to John chapter 8. Uh, verse 33. Cutting in here with Jesus talking with the uh, Pharisees. And they said unto him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never bondage to any man. How sayest thou that ye are made free? And Jesus answered him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. And if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed. But if ye seek to, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said unto them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham, and you do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, We be not born to fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, would you love me? For I proceedeth forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe not. Which of you convinces me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you believe, not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's word. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. Satan's a liar and a deceiver. Here they are arguing with God that they've got it right and God's got it wrong. Okay? Ever wonder why there's so many different explanations and stuff of doctrine of why it's all mixed up? You know, here's Jesus saying, speaking the things of the truth, telling them where it comes from, and they're not believing him. Okay? Satan can twist things up and get it all confused. Um, look over at Second Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 13 and 14 says, For such are false apostles, deceiving workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, and, and no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So who's behind all the confusion in the churches? You know? I want to look at one verse here, um, Exodus chapter 15, verse 9. This is when Moses had gone through the Red Sea with all the Israelites. The sea's open, they come to the other side, and Moses has his song here. And I just always got stuck on this one verse. It reminds me of 1 Peter 5, 8, where we just were. And in, I won't read the whole thing. I just want to read this one verse in here. It says, 
Moses says, the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, and my lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. That's what Satan is saying right now. He's looking at every one of us. He's looking at every creature on this earth, every person, and he's saying, I'm going to pursue them. He doesn't back off. I will overtake them. Then I'm going to laugh at them and divide their spoil. And my lust, everything that's against God, I'm going to pour it out upon them. Isn't that what he's doing? All across the world. And he's going to draw draw his sword and destroy them. But just remember that that's what the devil says he will do. And it's an effective tool. He's getting the multitudes. But if we're in Christ, we don't have to worry. We have a place of peace. Remember Jerusalem? When they built Jerusalem, it was a walled city with guarded gates. A walled city is a place of refuge. I remember years ago we had gone to um, St. Augustine, Florida, and they had one of the forts over there. And they had this fort. You, you, we could go over there and see it. And you walk over this bridge. There's a big moat out around the whole thing. And you cross the bridge and you go inside. And the walls go all the way around. It's got all these inlets and outlets. And inside the walls are these little holes where people could go in there and live and stay in there. And out in the center of it was this big court where the people could interact. And then, like I said, the moat was there full of these alligators. Of course, they weren't there at the time we were there, but apparently very hungry. And if danger came, they would take and pull up the gate, and everybody would be in the inner city there. And back then, they were safe. They couldn't fly over them. They could try and shoot cannonballs at them, but the way they built the walls, it would just ricochet off. It was a place of safety that they could go to while the attack went on. Okay? God said, well, well, why didn't God say put that way to Jerusalem? Just build a city and put no walls up, no gates. Don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. I think he gave us a picture of the fact that we need, the enemy's going to try and attack. We need to be safe. We need to be on guard. If God said build a city and put walls around it, why do we as Christians often live our lives like we don't need any walls? We don't need to draw any lines in the sand of where we stand. We don't need to have firm convictions. Kind of let our children work its way out. Okay? When Jerusalem was destroyed, remember when Ezra and Nehemiah came on the scene, they showed up? As they begin to rebuild over there, when did it become a real offense to Sanballat? When did he get really offended and say, this has to stop? It's when they began to repair the walls and repair the gates is when he got offended and said, this has to stop. He didn't care that the inside of Jerusalem was in ruins. I mean, it was destroyed inside those walls. But as soon as he started to put up the wall, he got offended. What I'm getting as is we as God's people need to know where we stand. We need to know what we stand up for and not be afraid to stand up for what's right. And it irritates the devil. He won't leave us alone. But Jerusalem, they were safe and protected within there. When we're within God's realm, we're safe and protected. Notice, still talk about the characteristics of the enemy. How did it go in the garden, the order at the time? We had God, then there was man, and then woman, and then there's creation, Right? Well, what happened in that scene in the garden that day when man fell into sin? 
creation deceived the woman, then went to the man, and where did that leave God? His authority got flipped. Everything got flipped over. The devil takes God's order, and he just flips it right around. It's not that God's on the bottom. It's not that God doesn't have the power. But that's what the devil does. God's not important. It's okay. If they'd have realized who God really was in their hearts and not given in to temptation, I don't know where we'd be right now. But that's what the devil does. He turns everything upside down. And he takes the word of God's truth and he gets it out of order. Okay? Another thing is the devil doesn't know the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen. Think of uh, John Wilkes Booth when he was going to kill President Kennedy in the theater. The devil provoked him to do that, but he had no idea if he would pull it off. He didn't know if it would work. Show what I mean. Jump over to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The devil just keeps trying and trying and trying, but he doesn't know the outcome. First Corinthians chapter two, I might have said second. First Corinthians chapter two, verse five. Um, yeah, it says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the wisdom which God ordained before the world in our glory, world unto our glory, which none of the princes of the world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as is written, I have not heard, nor seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered in the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. It says in there, had he known, he never would have done that. Satan didn't realize when he was provoking the crowds to say, crucify him, crucify him. And he thought, maybe if I could get rid of this Jesus, that somehow he would gain some territory, but he didn't realize that that was his final blow. That was his final blow. He had no idea what was going on. But don't be fooled, because Satan has a perfect um, perfect plan, full of, if I can put it this way, full of his wisdom and his beauty to destroy your family. He has a perfect goal to destroy your relationship with your wife and with your husband. He's got a perfect goal and a perfect direction to destroy the relationships with your children. He's got a perfect plan to destroy the relationships within the church. And he has a perfect plan and beauty and wisdom trying to destroy you personally. And he has a very clear agenda. He's motivated. He's fighting against you with all that he has because he knows that his time is short. And if we just sit back and do nothing and pretend all's peaceful, all's just calm and can be, I don't see any battle. Life's all okay. Everything's going pretty good. Just laying back. He's going to win. Or he could win. Maybe I should work that way. If you don't know that your house is on fire, you're just going to roll over and fall asleep, go to bed, 
And by the time you wake up, maybe it'll be too late. But if you know your house is on fire, what are you going to do? You're going to get up. You're going to get your children up. You're going to get your family out. Be safe, right? We're at war. But we do have peace and rest. But our peace and rest isn't ignoring the battle. It's really not going on. Our peace and our rest is resting in Jesus Christ, which gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that the war has already been won. We're still fighting the battle. Like Gideon. When Gideon went to war, he was down the list the night before he knew he was going to win. What about Joshua and Caleb? They marched into that city, and they were already singing victory. They knew that they were going to win that war. David, when he went up against Goliath, David knew throwing that rock was just a formality he had to do. God was going to take life out that day. We have that same confidence in our Lord. I was going to read this, but for the sake of time, I won't. But Genesis chapter 4, the account of Cain and Abel. We know what happened there. Cain and Abel. Cain was pretty upset. God wouldn't accept a sacrifice, and the two were out in the field. And Cain picks up the rock. Well, I shouldn't say that. Cain slew his brother, I should say, and he killed him. It's interesting because, as far as I know, that's the first murder recorded in the Bible. Who taught Cain to act like that? You know, this day we say, well, they watch too much TV, all these video games. We've got a lot of these things we see that people do that creates violence. Where did he get it from? He didn't learn it from his dad. Best I read. came from the nature of the evil of Satan. We took on that nature. But notice through that, verses 6 and 7, I didn't read that. That's where God comes and he talks to Cain and he reasons with him. Hey, Cain, what are you doing? He knew Cain's heart. He knew it was going to happen. God wasn't shocked. He didn't go, I can't believe this. Creation is killing creation. Oh, he didn't panic. But he reasoned with Cain. God's always right there. Cain, what are you doing? I can help you through this. Don't make the wrong mistake. How many of us had to teach our children how to lie? How many of us had to teach our children to fight and argue? How many of us had to teach our children to be selfish? They go in the store and they just want, want, want all these things. Did somebody take our poor little innocent children aside and give them all these training classes for a long time on how to do these things? It comes natural. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the children. We took on the characteristics of the enemy. So, does the devil have free roam to whatever he wants to? Does he just have free access and he can just go about it and God can't control him? Absolutely not. Even though he's doing these things, he's still 100% under God's control. Um, Jump over to Job for a second, chapter 1. Just going through this, I won't read through it all. This is when um, uh, the Satan comes before the Lord, and the Lord says, "And where are you going?" And he says, "He's going to and fro the earth, and all these things." And God says, "What about Job? Have you considered my servant Job? 
and Satan answers him back and says, you know, is God fearing Job for nothing? You know, you've protected him and all these things. You've blessed his work and all this stuff. He says in verse 11, he says, but put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse you to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. Okay? He could only touch his substance. He couldn't touch Job. God had him protected. Then the other time, when he comes up there, and Satan comes before him again, this time God says, skin for skin, you can touch his health but you can't take his life. You see, Satan can only go as far as God will allow him to, but he doesn't have free roam to do whatever he wants to do. Now, I want to look at um, Revelation chapter 20. Look at the destruction, the end of the devil. Um, Starting in verse 1. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he said, lay hold on the drag, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottoms of the pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be, lo- must be loosed for a season. And I saw the thrones as I sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived out and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not until until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second hath, second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them together in battle, the number of whom is the sand of the sea. And when they went up upon the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city and fire came down from God and out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night, forever and ever. We can see the devil had a plan to deceive the nations, but God also has a plan to destroy him. But notice again, who comes down and binds up Satan? It wasn't God himself, was it? God didn't have to do it. God's power is just numerous. It's not this big battle between Satan and God that they're fighting each other. God's in control. I want to close with a thought here California apparently I've never been there but there's a huge um, bird sanctuary it's full of trees nature and all this stuff but the birds in there some of them are born right inside that um, sanctuary they're hatched out there they're born there they live their whole life there and then they die in there And they never knew they were in captivity. They had no clue that there was something past that. You know, many people are in that same spot. They're just living in this sanctuary, this world here, and they don't realize that they're in captivity. That's one of the holds of the devil. 
Many Christians today, too, they're under bondage of the enemy. And they're battling life unnecessarily. I've seen it often. I've talked to them. They're depressed. They're grouchy. They're proud. They're unhappy. They're irritable. Woe is me. They've got all these problems. Life's like this big blur that has no purpose. And they don't understand why. But they need to wake up and realize it's the war that's raging. It's the battle that they're fighting. They're just trying to have a quiet life and all these things keep irritating them. They need to have a purpose. I want to read one last verse or verses. James chapter 4. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even at your lusts, that war within your members? Ye lust and ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that they may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit dwelleth in us lust to envy? But God giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but give grace, grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. It says, God gives grace to the humble. It says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. That's our place of refuge. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to, draw nigh to us. And humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. You know, as I studied through this, it just reminded me again about the battle that we're really in. I can get so consumed with the things going on in my life that I forget what's really important and realize how much my family needs me to be there for them, to realize that the devil is out trying to attack and destroy and ruin relationships. Uh, but anyway, just encourage us all to be vigilant and stand up and fight. God bless you. Thank you.